Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Almighty God, who through your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, overcame death and opened to us the gate of everlasting life, grant that we who celebrate with joy the day of the Lord's resurrection may be raised from the death of sin by your life-giving Spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit one God, now and forever, and everybody said, Amen. Well, for the past six Sundays, we have been looking at Christ crucified and asking this question, what does this mean? We look at the cross and we ask, what does this mean? We've learned that it doesn't just mean one thing. That, in fact, there's a myriad of meanings that pertain to our salvation that we see in the cross. For example, it's the pinnacle of divine self-revelation. It's divine solidarity with all human suffering. It's the eternal moment of forgiveness. It's the enduring model of discipleship. It's the point from which Satan is driven out of the world. It's the beauty that saves the world. It's the axis of love that refounds the world. It's the supreme demonstration of God's love. It's the sacrifice to end sacrificing. It's the abolition of war. It's the infinite shaming of the principalities and powers. And yet there is one more meaning I want us to look at. And this, I've saved the best for last. That's how you do that. This is the greatest meaning of the cross. And throughout Lent, you know, we've been saying, what does this mean, a Lenten look at the cross? But we're past Lent. So this is, what does this mean, an Easter look at the cross? Because to see this meaning, we have to see it through the revelation of the resurrection. So along with everything else that the cross means, it certainly means that it is the death of by which death is conquered. It's the death by which death itself is conquered. It's through the death of Christ upon the cross that death is ultimately destroyed. Hallelujah. See, the crucifixion is not a defeat to be overturned by resurrection. It's the wrong way of thinking about it. Don't think like that. I mean, if you, just, if you just look, you know, with natural eyes, human perspective, we will end up thinking that the cross is, that the crucifixion is a defeat to be overturned in resurrection. No, it's not that. The crucifixion is a victory revealed by resurrection. And so that's what we want to see. And it's a victory. Jesus was, in his death and resurrection, Jesus was not winning a personal victory. He was winning the victory for us. He's our representative. He's our champion. He's the one that takes the field on our behalf and wins the victory for us. 
In the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 14, we find this text. Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Now, for several years, especially around the time of Easter, I have taken to preaching on the resurrection with the help of Anastasis icons, resurrection icons. And so here we have at the top there, we have a, uh, that's an Anastasis icon in the classical Byzantine form that has been in the church for, well, you know, 1,500 years or 1,600 years. So this is how the early Christians would depict um, the resurrection. It's, it's theology and image. I mean, that's, uh, icons are not decoration. They are theology. And they're useful because some people learn better by image than by word. Isn't that true? Some people learn better that way. How many of you learn better by seeing something than listening to one of my sermons? <laughs> Don't raise your hand too enthusiastically. Just, you know, yeah, okay. And so I, I like that. And, uh, and I've been using the, the classical Byzantine form, but up here on our platform right now, we have a contemporary resurrection icon. This was created by Ivanka Demchuk, a young Ukrainian, very talented artist, iconographer. You should definitely follow her on Instagram if that's your, if that's your game, if you're an Instagrammer. She's definitely very interesting, worth following. Um, and so this is, you can see, this is a contemporary version of the Anastasis icon, but the theology is all still there. None of it's been lost, and we're going to look at the theology of the image here. Now, for six weeks through Lent, we had up here, you'll remember, a depiction of the crucifixion. Andre Montaigne's crucifixion that now hangs in the Louvre. Now, we've replaced it for Eastertide with this image. But has the cross gone away? No. The cross has not gone away. It's still there. I'm preaching on the cross. What does this mean? An Easter look at the cross. The cross is still here. It's right there. Down at the bottom. See? Every Anastasis icon, if you look at the feet of Jesus, you'll see the gates of hell have fallen in the form of a cross. That's teaching you something. That's teaching you that it's through the cross that Christ enters death to destroy death. And so it's why the early Christians, their favorite Easter hymn, and it's still sung today among some, is uh, Christ is risen from the dead, triumphing over death by death and upon those in the tombs bestowing life. That's the lyrics. That's the lyrical, poetic hymn version of the theology you're seeing in image. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death and upon those in the tombs bestowing life. So Christ has broken into the realm of Sheol, Hades, hell, death, and he's trampling it underfoot. And the cross now becomes the way that death is destroyed. And you'll see scattered around this cross, there are 
chains, broken locks, and keys. Keys. Why keys? Well, those are the keys of, of death and hell. Remember Jesus in Revelation 1? I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. See, I'm a preacher, and I know what it's like to get so excited that you get amen yourself in your preaching. Jesus says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death and hell. Death and hell don't even have the keys to their own place anymore. You know, when they take the keys away from you, you're not in charge. Death and hell are not in charge of death and hell. They don't have the keys. Who has the keys? Jesus. Hallelujah. Right there, there's a good place for one. Who has the keys of death and hell? Jesus. Yeah. Because that pertains to you. Because what is Jesus going to do with the keys? What's Jesus going to do? If Jesus has the keys of death and hell, what's he do with them? Lock everybody in? No, he's going to let them out. He's releasing them. And that's what's depicted here. And another interesting thing is Jesus in Christian iconography is never depicted as rising by himself. As if it's just, you know, his personal victory. Oh, they killed me, I went to death, but I beat it and came back. Well, that's not the, whole, that's not the point at all. Jesus, he is, oh, I'm trying to find, I, was, I know the word I'm going to use, but it's, he's the recapitulation of the human race, but I was trying to find a simpler word. Jesus is our representative that restores, he saves the world, he saves humanity by, becoming, by joining us in our plight and goes down into death that he might take the keys away from the devil and liberate the people. And so that's what's happening here. And so we can, you can see that Jesus, this is, this is Adam or Adam, if you want to use the Hebrew, and this is Eve or Heva, if you want to use the Hebrew. So this, this is Adam, this is Eve, this is Adam, this is Heva, this is humankind, because that's what Adam means. This is life, because that's what Heva or Eve means. So what's going on here? Jesus is coming down into death, laying hold of human life and bringing it up out. And I like this, I like this, how, how Jesus has, is, see how he, he just grabs Adam by the wrist. Adam's not holding on to Jesus. Jesus is holding on to Adam. You're not holding on to Jesus as much as Jesus is holding on to you. See, he's, here's what, this is what salvation looks like. It's Jesus saying, I got you. I got you. Come on out. I got you. And he brings us out of death. This is, this is King David. This is King Solomon. That's John the Baptist. That's Virgin Mary over there. I told you this is Eve. And over here is just some women and men representing you and me. Because this, this, is a, this is an eternal moment. This is what occurs as you enter into death. That's what happens. I like the fact that, that Ivanka has depicted Jesus. It looks to me like he's, he's, just, he's filling the cosmos with that bluish black background with maybe like, you know, you get the ideas like stars and galaxies all there. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says. 
He says it many times in Ephesians and Colossians in various ways, but he says it in Ephesians 1.21, he says that now Christ fills all things everywhere with himself. Christ fills all things everywhere with himself. Now this has implications. See, humanity goes down into death and, and there is is lost, is cut off from God. But that has changed because Christ invaded death so that he fills death with himself. So that those captive by death, which is the human race, now become the captives of Christ. Remember, you might remember, Ephesians 4, 8, the apostle Paul says, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. He led captive. He's talking about the captives of death, the captivity of the human race to death. Jesus comes down, defeats the devil, defeats death, defeats hell, takes away the keys, and says, They're my captives now. They don't belong to you anymore. They belong to me, and I'm going to lead them out. That's what's being depicted here. This is good news. This is the gospel. I'll preach. Thank you. Now, the early Christians always preached Easter Sunday like this. That's what they preached on Easter Sunday. They preached that Jesus invaded hell. They called it the heroine of hell. Or it means, it's an old-fashioned word meaning distressing, that hell was distressed. That hell said, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh, what's this? It's always been dark down here, but now it's light all of a sudden. Where is this light? Well, this is very light, a very light, very God, a very God. And it was an invasion. And one of the ways they talked about it, one of the most popular ways the early Christians talked about what happens with Easter, with the heroine of hell, is this. They say that the devil took the bait and swallowed the hook. Took the bait and swallowed the hook. Let me explain. The bait is the flesh of Jesus. The hook is his divinity. The Logos, the Word of God, became flesh, human flesh. He joined us. He became what we are, human beings. Another word for that is mortal, because we are subject to mortality, to death. And so because the Word had become flesh, the Word was mortal, and Jesus could die. That's the bait. That's how they preach it. That's the bait. And see, if, if death had it to do over again, death said, I would never have done that. Death took the bait, but they swallowed the hook. Because though death could swallow Jesus, death can't digest divinity. I mean, when, what happens when immortality enters into death? Something's going to die, and it's not immortality. It's death itself that's going to die. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death. And upon those in the tombs, bestowing life. Jesus, when Jesus died, when he entered into the tomb, when he entered into death, Hades, hell, Sheol, whatever word you want to use, here's, I want you to understand that he did not enter as a captive or as a prisoner or as a victim. Now, it's, it's easy to think that way. It's easy to become mistaken about that. Because um, 
Well, Friday night, we were still looking at the cross only from a Lenten perspective, a Good Friday perspective. And we looked upon Christ upon the cross, pierced. We're seeing a corpse upon a cross. That sure looks like defeat. But in light of resurrection, we come to realize that the crucifixion is not a defeat to be overturned by resurrection. Crucifixion is a victory revealed by resurrection. Because when Christ entered death, as, as every mortal person does, and every mortal person is redundant. When Christ entered death, as every human has, will, he did not enter as a victim or a prisoner or a captive, but it was an invasion. It was, it, it was, it was an invasion. Psalm 24 hints at that. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them high, O everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Now, this is Jesus approaching the gates of death. You know, the gates of hell. Abandon all hope, ye who enter. And Jesus comes to the gates of death, and there's this voice. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them high, O everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. This is the battle of the Lord. Remember those verses that say, the battle is not ours, it's the Lord's. We could never fight the battle with death and win, we know that. But our champion came, and he comes, and he, he comes to the gates of hell. Lift up your, and if they, and if they don't open, he'll trample them down because he's coming in. Lift up your heads, O gates, lift them high, O everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Of course, we can give him a name now. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's this kind of Easter gospel that thrilled and energized the early church. And by early church, I mean like the first 300 years. It's distinctive. There's characteristics of that period of Christianity that have somewhat been lost, and I am of the opinion need to be recovered. And one of the characteristics of the early Christians was the energy they derived from this Easter gospel, and it was manifest in the fact that they never saw themselves as victims. The baptized never saw themselves as victims. I mean, sometimes, especially more in modernity, you'll have people trying to leverage victimhood to gain a certain status and, and sort of vying for victim status. The early Christians would never have understood that. And the irony is they were often victimized. During that same period, the first 300 years, uh, there were periodic persecutions. Sometimes and not, it wasn't all that rare. That in towns and villages and even cities, when a catastrophe would befall them, like, you know, a plague or a crop failure, they look for a scapegoat. And it was often this, this new bunch of weirdos that they called Jesusites, Christians, little Christs. And, and so there would just be kind of spontaneous mob violence directed against the Christians. They would attack them and destroy their property and all that sort of thing. Uh, but oftentimes it was state-sponsored under 
many emperors, but especially under Nero, Marcus Aurelius. Uh, the worst one was under Diocletian in the early 300s. And yet, despite that, they never thought of themselves as victims. Even though they're being attacked, thrown in prison, drug off to the arena, all of that sort of stuff that you know about, they, they're, in their thinking, they never saw themselves as defeated. Why? Because they knew they were in Christ. And Christ is the one who had invaded hell, invaded death, invaded Hades, and conquered it. That's who they were. And that's how they thought about themselves. So, for example, you see it when the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the Christians in Rome, the very epicenter of the empire, an imperial persecution. And he says, well, you know, there's that verse that says, you know, we're like sheep led to the slaughter. Is that what we are, though? And he answers, no. He says, yeah, we're, we're, we're killed all day long. We're like sheep led to the slaughter. Is that what we are? No, we are. Anybody know what he says we are? We are more than conquerors. And that was an empty rhetoric. That was a reflection of what they actually believed. The early Christians were formed in an Easter theology of victory through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that was very real, and they never had a victim mentality. This is why in Paul's great treatise on resurrection, that's 1 Corinthians 15, he ends it by saying, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That might be my favorite verse in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's victory over what? Over death. That's the context. But you know what? If you have victory over death, that is total victory. To have victory over death is to mean you have victory. And, and, that, and that was deeply embedded in the early Christians. That we are in Christ. Christ has conquered death. What else? What other enemy is there? Because every, every fear is a form of the fear of death. That is the fear of loss. We lose control. We're not, we lose some way. And that's what we're afraid of. The ultimate loss being the final dissolution of death. But Christ has gone down into death and now fills it with himself so that I understand from our vantage point, from where we sit right here, in 2021, in our own moment, our own existential experience of life, we, we know those around us that have died. And we mourn for them. And we grieve. But not as those who have no hope. But we grieve because there's a separation. They're lost to us. But you have to understand, that is not their experience. When you die, this is your experience. This isn't just a one-time thing 2,000 years ago. This is your experience. This is you. This is you. So that for a human being to experience death is not to encounter death, but to encounter Christ. See, we see somebody dying, we say, oh, it's tragic, and our heart is broken because we lose them for a while. But that's not their experience. They're dying, they're dying, it's getting darker and darker, dying, dying. Christ is who they encounter. Death doesn't have the keys. Death is not in charge. 
Death, is not, death has been destroyed. Death has been driven out of its own house. And it's occupied by Christ. So for a human being to enter death is to encounter Christ as judge. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and Savior. Now, I'm not going to put too fine a point on how that all works out. I don't understand all of that. I know that when I die, I encounter Christ. As judge, we must all give an account to Christ for our life, but also as Savior. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so... That takes away the fear of death. And, and what's the writer of Hebrews say? Since therefore the children, the children of God, that's, that's what we are, beloved. Now are we the children of God? Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, that's what makes us mortal. He himself, Christ, likewise shares the same things. He's God with us. He's Emmanuel. He's the Logos that shares flesh and blood with us. So he himself likewise shared the same things so that through death, he might destroy the one who had, past tense, the power of death. It's a better translation. The one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. The good news is that death has been destroyed by the death of Christ. Christ is risen from the dead, triumph over death by death, and upon those in the tombs bestowing life. The good news of Easter is this, that we're headed for a world made well. We're headed for a world where all will be well. Now, I'm not denying the reality in which we live. The present pains and sorrows and struggles and injustices and the things that grieve and break our hearts. I know that's all real. I'm not diminishing that. I'm just saying that's not our destiny. That we can have Easter faith and know that in the end, it's going to be all right. I know that because, well, this is the story the Bible tells at the end of the great story of redemption, the Bible tells we find this revelation in the book of Revelation, at the end of the revelation, and God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Sorrow and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who is seated upon the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Every tear. I know the tears are real. I'm not saying the tears are, their tears are precious and they're real and they come from genuine human experience of pain. But they're not eternal. They're going to be wiped away. And Jesus is the one that's going to, Jesus, this one here, he's going to wipe away the tears of pain. And I believe there'll be a day, I believe there comes a time when we'll meet again. And I'll say, tell me about your tears. And you'll say, I can hardly remember them anymore. I know I had them, but what I most remember is that Jesus has wiped them away. The greatest of the medieval Christian mystics is Julian of Norwich. 
a lot of medieval mystics, but she's the most renowned. And she lived in a most difficult time. She lived in England in the 1300s. And if you know anything about that period of time, it was just hell. First of all, the bubonic plague that killed half the population. And there would be waves of it. It would come back, come back. You know, we've been through a pandemic, but it wasn't a pandemic where half the people died. It wasn't a pandemic where the vast majority of those that get the disease die within hours. But then there were also crop failures and famine and civil war. And it was just a very difficult time. Now, Julian, as a young woman, came down with Black Death, the bubonic plague. And she uh, hovered between life and death for many days. In fact, they at times thought she was dead. They performed the last rites, and maybe she did die. Don't know exactly what happened. Because what she did was she encountered Christ. Remember, to die and to enter into death is not to encounter death, but to encounter Christ. And that's exactly what happened to her. And Christ came to her in what we would, as modern people, call a near-death experience and revealed some things to her. She asked Jesus questions, and Jesus answered them. Wouldn't you like that? She asked Jesus questions, and Jesus answered them. Much later, she recovered, obviously, and then much later in life, she wrote a book about this, Revelations of Divine Love. It was the first book published by a woman in the English language, Revelations of Divine Love. It's a good book. You probably haven't read it. Maybe a few of you have. But most of you know the most famous sentence in it. The most famous sentence in the book is actually her reporting what Jesus has said in regard to one of her questions about why has all this happened? Why, why does life turn out like this? And Jesus says some things, but then at the end he says, and all shall be well. And all shall be well. And all manner of things shall be well. You know what? I believe Sister Julian. And I believe Brother John who says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Sorrow and sign and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away, and the one who is seated upon the throne says, I'm working on it. I'm making all things new. I know the pain is real, but hold on. Or if you can't hold on, just know I'm going to hold on to you. And all shall be well. And all shall be well. And all manner of things shall be well. Amen. Stand up with me. Maybe say hallelujah when you do. Now we're going to come to the table of the Lord here in a moment. I've been talking a lot about uh, early Christians. Because the reason is, when, when I get ready, this is my 40th, my 40th Easter sermon to preach. And it is. This is a 40th Easter sermon. And lately, lately meaning like the last 15 years, one of the ways I prepare is I read all these early sermons. 
I came across something that uh, Ignatius of Antioch said. He's an early, early Christian. Became a bishop. He died. We don't know where he was born, but he died in 108. So he was a spiritual grandson of John the Apostle. Now, whether his, his, his mentor, if you want to use that word, was mentored by the Apostle John. That's pretty cool. And uh, there's a legend, I guess, you know, I, it's, a, it's a legend that sprang up in the church. I don't know if there's any truth to it, but I like it, that, that Ignatius was one of the children that had been blessed by Jesus. You know, when Jesus would take the little kids in their arms. I don't know if that's true. I like it. But he's an early Christian. And he said this about, he said, the Eucharist is the medicine of immortality. It's a, I know, it's just a little, little cracker in his little juice in a little plastic cup. No, it's the, it's the vaccination against mortality. Jesus said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood shall never die. Ah, now you, you experience, I mean, those that you leave behind, said they died. We have to use that language. Sometimes we modify and we say they fell asleep or they passed on or they passed away. But no, this is, this is, this is what you've experienced. It's the medicine of immortality. Let's confess our sins, receive the Lord's forgiveness, and take our medicine. Amen? Pray with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little you who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord's will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you.